This podcast is brought to you by Conquer Cancer, the ASCO Foundation. Our mission is to accelerate breakthroughs in life-saving cancer research and empower people everywhere to conquer cancer. You can help by donating at conquer.org forward slash podcast. Welcome to Your Stories, a podcast where we hear candid stories from people conquering cancer. I am your host, Brenda Brody. What is on your list of New Year's resolutions to make your story a healthier one? Do you want to exercise more? Reduce stress? Live life with a more positive outlook? Whether you are listening as a patient or as a caregiver or simply as someone who is inspired by how others conquer tough times, you will be motivated by our guest, Loriana Hernandez Aldama. Loriana is an award-winning TV journalist, a patient advocate, a mother, and a cancer survivor. She is sharing how the bittersweet ups and downs of her story are keeping her armored up for life. Loriana, I appreciate you talking to me today and taking the time. You have quite a story to share with us. I want to talk to you about secondary cancer, and I also want to talk about how to live a healthy life to prevent cancer, to prevent reoccurrence, and to live an optimal life even when a silver lining does not seem easy to find. Hi, and so great to talk to you today. It's wonderful to meet you. I am in awe of your story. I've been sneaking around the internet and learning about you, and, and you are someone I admire, and I know you're still going through tough times. So the fact that you are being brave and taking the time to talk to us today, I really appreciate Tell us a little bit about what is secondary cancer. Well, I was initially diagnosed with AML leukemia, and we can share that story of how it happened so unexpectedly. Is it all most of the time for people? It's coming at the time you least expect it. But my secondary cancer was when I got breast cancer five years to the day of surviving leukemia. We know that after having any cancer, the five year mark, especially with AML leukemia, it's acute. And it's so hard to fight. And the statistics, we're still trying to improve the patient outcomes. So five years is a huge deal. And on the fifth anniversary, we had a party to celebrate that I had made it five years. And I got the call saying, you have cancer. And I thought, Mm. you've got, am I being punked? You've got to be kidding (laughs) me. I was very calm about it. But how it turns out is they said, this is the cancer, the secondary cancer that can happen after having the chemo and radiation that you had to save your life. So in many ways, it was the gift, the unexpected gift I got from being able to survive leukemia. It's the best way I could put it. Whenever I share it in a presentation, I go through the whole ordeal of how it all happened and saying it on the fifth anniversary, I got the most unexpected gift, breast cancer during COVID. And when I was going through it, I said to the doctor, when the oncologist was like stuttering over the phone. And I said, listen, if I'm not going to have to spend a year in the hospital, like I did with leukemia separated from my child, he was two when I had leukemia, then I'm good with this. If I have more than a 25% chance of survival, you can keep talking. I'm okay with this. And I'm not minimizing breast cancer, but what I went through with leukemia was so horrific that I still suffer the effects of the the PTSD, the cancer-related PTSD that haunts me to this day that if it was going to be better than that kind of quarantine, 
then nothing I felt could top it. I was like, I'm ready. Which as we talk about New Year's resolutions, my mantra and my message is always be prepared. You don't have to get ready when you stay ready. And so I said, I stayed prepared. I was fit. And I said, you know what? I'm ready for it. Thankfully, it was something that was easy to treat. I had a double mastectomy, but it was still really threw me for a loop. I thought, what in the world? But I was still very calm. I remember I went, when I had the biopsy before the fifth anniversary of my leukemia, I thought they were crazy. I had a biopsy, went to volunteer at my son's school with an ice pack in my bra. (laughs) And I was handing out, it was Halloween cookies and helping volunteer. And then we went trick-or-treating with an ice, you know, with the ice pack. So I was like, you know what? This is nothing. Because I thought, how in the world? There's no way I have breast cancer after having leukemia. I mean, I was in the hospital for a year with leukemia to think all the chemo that I had, I figured it that I was, I was. It burned your whole body. Burned it all. That's how I feel about my cancer and my my chemo. It's I'm never getting it back because it just stripped me of my body, mind, and spirit. So I understand what you're saying. How did you find? Did you find the lump, or was it a routine mammogram? I had a little lump, but I didn't think much of it. I mean, I didn't know. I mean, a lot of time I didn't do like. I did monthly self-exams, but I I found a lump, and but it was small. So I didn't think a big deal of it. But I went and when I went in the waiting room and they did the mammogram and then they said, we're going to do an ultrasound. And then that's when they said, this looks suspicious. And I said, and the, they were trying to be very diplomatic. I said, just say it, say it, just right. say it. Say you think this is cancer because you can't top the stuff. I've heard when I was sitting in that hospital for a year and that's where they said, we, we think this is breast cancer. You need the biopsy. We could only do it on this day. It was Halloween day again. And I'm thinking, I'm not missing a memory with my son. I will have 10 ice packs in my bra, but I am go. you're going to do this biopsy early. I'm going to my son's school. We are going trick or treating. This is not going to ruin any memory because I'm all about making memories. Because Absolutely. I remembered when I had leukemia and I they took my son away from me for, he was two at the time. After all my years of medical reporting, more than 25 years, I don't know how it just blindsided me to think that I was going to have to sit in the hospital for a year with leukemia. So I'm all about making memories because I remember when they told me, and I know I'm jumping around on you. No, that's okay. That's okay. I think I, you know what? I would love to, I think it's important for you to start and share the beginning of your journey because we're all curious now. I definitely am curious as I'm processing as a cancer survivor. Whoa, she got it again, but she went through all that chemo. How, what? We all live with PTSD and we're all worried all over our body. Where might the cancer come again? Can you share? Because it is quite an extraordinary story you had from the beginning. Let's start at the beginning. How and when and where did you find out and discover that you had leukemia? So I was a network news anchor at the mm-hmm. time and a fitness and medical reporter, the clean eating, green drinking yoga enthusiast. I had a clean eating show telling everyone to eat this, not that, to avoid things like cancer. And I say it like that because I now know that bad things can still happen. It's, but what matters is how we prepare. I was also in the midst of fertility treatment to have a second child. And I was also burning the candle at both ends, being a news anchor 
co- health coaching people, being at galas and emceeing events, I was nonstop wearing exhaustion as a badge. And going through all that, I got sick. I called my fertility doctor and he said, I need to run your blood work. And he called me and said, I think you have leukemia. And I said, you're, you are crazy. I, again, I'm the clean eating, green drinking yoga enthusiast. (laughs) And I tell everyone else how to avoid cancer and I eat clean, no gluten, no dairy, no sugar, no caffeine. So I said, you're wrong. You're crazy. And he sent me to an oncologist who said, no, you're good. Your counts are a little off. You're just tired. You're tired. You get up at 1.30, 1.45 in the morning to anchor a morning show. You work 12 hours a day. You're at events in the evening. You're just burned out. You just need to rest. And I was like, yes, which goes to my first message of always get a second opinion, even when you like the first. So I love that that oncologist told me that I didn't have cancer. I was just tired. So I said, I could fix this. I'll rest. But the fertility doctor said, there's no way like I, I do not feel comfortable with this. And I know I'm not an oncologist, but this is leukemia. Mm-hmm. So I had a bone marrow biopsy in Austin, Texas, and it came back that I had leukemia. And I took to social media and I shared my story and said, I need, I'm not going here because I was misdiagnosed here. So I need the best of the best. So I reached out on social media and a friend of a friend of a friend, or maybe somebody I'd interviewed people were connecting me with doctors, oncologists all over the country. And I got a call from Dr. Mark Levis from Johns Hopkins, who is world-renowned, incredible doctor. And he called me and said, say goodbye to your son and get on a plane now. You don't have time to waste. And I said, what? Like, I thought he was going to say, yes, I'll take you as a patient. And I said, but I were booking a flight for me to go to Atlanta to see my family and bring my son and let them watch him so I can get my chemo or whatever I need and then go back. And he's like, no, you don't have time. Have your husband take your son to Georgia. You need to get on a plane straight to Baltimore. Uh, After looking at my counts and how everything looked and the bone marrow biopsy, he said, you need treatment today. And it was that bad. And I shook, I threw myself on the floor and thought, how is this possible? So at that time, I flew to Baltimore by myself, looking out the, kissed my son goodbye in the airport, hysterically crying, not knowing when I would ever see him again. Mm. And when I got there, he said, you have 25% chance of survival. And it was, it was in January. And that's how I came up with the name Armor Up for Life. He said, you need to put your armor on. You may not get out until Christmas. This is going to take a while if you make it. He was very transparent. And I thought, oh my gosh, when you talk about resolutions or memories, I looked at my husband, I had a nervous breakdown and I said, why didn't we take more vacations? Why were we always thinking about saving money? And yes, you need to save, but why did I not change the lens? I was always about climbing the ladder and not taking time to enjoy every memory and every moment. So I spent from January through what they call induction and chemo and radiation for 10 months. That didn't work at 10 months. They said, you need a transplant. They weren't going to do both, but they said, this is your only hope. You need a transplant to save your life. It's another 100 days away from your son. And I said, if you don't let me see my son, I'll get emotional. I said, I'm going to die of a broken heart. Like you have to let me see him. 
So that sure. October, which was 10 months in, they let me see him. We put up a Christmas tree, took pictures in case I didn't make it. Every year now in October, we put up that tree and we decorate. And so going through that, separated from my son, my husband sleeping at my side, my son in another state raised by my 70-year-old mother, going through all that PTSD and one by one losing friends on my hall, it traumatized me. But when I got through that, I never, I thought that nothing was ever going to happen. Like I'd punched the time card. And I, I make that analogy now when I go out and speak at different conferences to people who are thinking about that first wave of COVID and they're like, oh, we can't do this again. There's, we got to go quarantine again. I said, no, like you can never let your guard down. You have to prepare yourself for illness so you could present well to your medical team and position yourself to prevail. And that's what my oncologist told me when I would sit and cry to him and say, was I just a bad reporter that I never told, I told people like they could eat this and avoid cancer and they could do this. Like, how do I almost like clear my name and explain the reasoning behind my stories that I've done on the air for years and many different TV networks. And he said, the message you need to get out to viewers and to patients and to caregivers about their family members fighting is we can't kill you trying to save you. Our hands are tied and how you prepare for illness matters. Prehabilitation matters. And that's where I came the title of my book, that prehabilitation can save your life. And what we're doing each and every day can help prepare you for whatever illness your genetic markers may set you up for. So while I was in the hospital, I walked every single day and I focused on my messaging of prepare, present, prevail. And so taking you through that journey of AML leukemia, I never stopped work, walking one foot in front of the other, giving it my best. And when I got out, I never let my guard down. I said, there's no way. They told me there could be secondary cancers, even though I said, there's no way that's going to happen to me. I stayed fit, not, a, not doing the same thing. It wasn't doing triathlons like pre-leukemia. It may have been power walking and doing light weights or doing Bikram yoga or doing some sort of hot yoga. But I did the best version of myself because I said, I'm going to stay ready if something else happens. How was your body and your mental state after that first year of battle? And what were some of the tools that you used for yourself to get through any challenges you had physically, mentally, emotionally, and that your husband and your child might have had? Oh, well, I tell people, and I'm very transparent about it, that I went from living the life to fighting for my life to coming out of it, wanting to take my own life because I was lost and I didn't know how to get back up. I had a great career. I was, a, I wouldn't say like a rising star like Barbara Walters, but I had an amazing career. You're an Emmy award-winning journalist. You have had an extraordinary career. Yes, you have. It. And I lost it all. Mm. And so through that, and I get emotional talking about okay. it. You go through so much loss, not just um, you're in a mind and body you no longer recognize. It doesn't work the same. It doesn't feel the same. You not just lose your hair, but you lose your identity in so many ways. With And with a bone marrow transplant, you lose your DNA. So you really lose your identity. Eventually, you lose your career. But then, you know, when I'm talking to you, I'm shifting back and forth because That's you okay. lose the feeling in your feet and you get neuropathy and your body just does not function the same. Your mind doesn't function the same. The level of anxiety and the PTSD that haunts you every day and 
it just really defined every decision I make is haunted and surrounded by the PTSD. Is there too big of a crowd? Could something happen to me? I've fought two cancers. I don't want to go at a concert. I don't, you know, your mind is always racing and you don't process like cognitively, you're not the same. So like you said, I'm an Emmy award-winning journalist and I went from covering big national, international news stories to having to find new ways to still pivot give speeches and make myself feel relevant and make an impact, but with the different mind that mm-hmm. I, now I need some more bullet points. I need some more notes. I, if I'm speaking, I use more slides, but my mind it's, I had to go through a lot of cognitive training. I still need more. I had to find a therapist and then your, your marriage suffers too, because your husband or your, who your spouse does like, they don't know you anymore. Mm-hmm. And I remember having a nervous breakdown and yelling at my husband. And I don't, we don't yell. We never yell. But he said, well, I don't know you anymore. And I said, I don't know me. That's so right. I don't expect you to know me. Welcome. We should get married again. <laughs> Let's yeah, renew exactly. our vow so you can marry the second person because the other, I got a new DNA. People ask me what life is like after cancer. And I say, it's not a new normal. It's like a next normal. And I'm not making light because COVID is so serious and we have all lost. You can't find somebody who hasn't lost a loved one to COVID. But when I speak and I tell people, look, when COVID happened, and I know I'm jumping on That's this, okay. That's okay. When COVID happened, I was like, you know, I'm a veteran of this war long before it started. You want to know about loss? I got it. You want to know about pivoting? Right here. You want to know about losing yourself? Got it. Struggling, quarantining? Talk to me. So I felt like I was so prepared when COVID happened that I was able to safely navigate that because I already built my pit crew. I admire that. I admire that you you have feel you were prepared for COVID because talking with a lot of people actually COVID set some folks back because all yeah. of a sudden we had to wear our masks again. We couldn't be around people and people I mean I had nightmares in the beginning and I couldn't figure out why and I was like oh because I'm masked again just a weird feeling that oh, wow. brought me back to there were a lot of triggers I will say but then there was some safety net for me that I felt like I'm in my house and nobody can hurt me I can't get all the PTSD things like what if I get in a car accident what if there's an explosion what if this all my what ifs I'm like well if I don't leave my house nothing can happen so it was almost like this safety net that eventually it was when we started to all go back out was a little scary. Now it was upsetting and traumatizing because I couldn't get to doctors. I had a home healthcare nurse as I went through breast cancer. When did you get leukemia? What, what so was leukemia the year? It was 2014 and into 2015. Okay. And then what about and breast then the cancer? breast cancer was 2020. So during COVID. I, during COVID. I was diagnosed during 2020. I had my double mastectomy in January, right before COVID was known to be COVID. Mm-hmm. I had two infections, three readmissions. So, and I was in the hospital part of February and March. And I was getting sick too. So we don't know if I ever had COVID, but I know I was in the hospital and I know that it was very stressful and having to coordinate doctors for me. I had doctors at Johns Hopkins who treated my leukemia, but I went to Penn for my breast cancer because we had moved and trying to go through all of that and connect doctors, which 
is something else I advocate about that it's very hard as a patient when you have different care teams in different cities and getting them to talk because I felt like I had to pull out my Emmy report, Emmy award-winning journalist mode and go into reporter mode. And I'd say, how does anyone not as educated, not as driven, not a pain in the neck like me manage a secondary cancer when you have comorbidities and you have baggage. So going from the leukemia five years later to the day, getting that diagnosis for breast cancer, and then trying to navigate that was so hard. First, it's obviously different cancers, but you go at it differently. With the leukemia, they said, get on a plane right away. You need chemo. With the breast cancer, I was like, having panic attacks because I'm waiting for this scan and that scan. And they had to say with breast cancer, we chase the scans and we know all the facts before we go in. I'm like, just hook me up to chemo, (laughs) make it go away. Like I was having a fit that I didn't feel like I had enough information and direction. So now I know that with breast cancer, you chase the scans first, then you have the surgery. And that's the hardest part with breast cancer is from, because I mentor folks now who are recently diagnosed. It's a long process, but once you find out, then it's, you get on a roll and it's significantly usually quicker than what you went through with leukemia for sure. In most cases, it's not inpatient for a long time like it would be for leukemia. Yes. Not that we're minimizing one over the other because I've friends and loved ones to both cancers. But I will say what the hole in the system that I found going through this, when you have a secondary cancer, is that the the healthcare system operates in silos. So your breast cancer oncologist knows breast cancer as he or she should, and your leukemia oncologist knows leukemia and blood cancers. So I found myself navigating everything. And I would say somebody else, if they were older, maybe if it was health literacy issue, if they weren't as educated, they couldn't have navigated this. It was heartbreaking for me to have to push and go through all this, thinking that so many others may not be able to. It's hard, very hard. But for those who don't have the resources to navigate even one cancer diagnosis and figuring out how to get access to care, access to help, access to clinical trials, all of those things, they've come a little ways, but we know they have a long way to go, but it does seem that it's a focus. I hope as we move forward, if we could educate anything about the secondary cancers is that oncologists need to know that this is the time you don't stay in your lane, that you need to understand the baggage your patient brings to you and reach out to that other doctor, reach out to the oncologist. I had to make an appointment before when I was diagnosed, I called Johns Hopkins, made an appointment with my leukemia oncologist, told him I had breast cancer. And he said, no way, you need a double mastectomy. I guarantee you with all the chemo we gave you and all the radiation, I guarantee you there's more. No, you're not. And he said, and plus, I don't want you going through because you're at risk of relapse. A second, let's say it comes, the breast cancer comes back if they just do a mastectomy or just clear the margins. I don't want them going back. You might be older. You might, maybe you would have leukemia again, whatever. Whatever the reason, let's just get rid of them. So he got on the phone and called. He called them and made that call and said, she is my patient. She is high risk with a delayed healing marker. She doesn't have her own DNA. You're going to do what I want done. And he insisted I get a double mastectomy. And guess what? When they tested, guess what? I had two 
two tumors, not one. In one breast or two? In two. But you were more advanced than they initially had thought. Yeah. So Wow. What a story. I mean, I think you're giving a really great message to oncologists because this podcast, we not only have patients and caregivers listening, we have oncologists listening. Anything that can be done in that community to help us as patients connect doctors and for them to proactively connect with each other when they've got someone who has the secondary cancer to not talk to the original oncologist that has treated this patient, it could change a life. So I say, please, to any oncologist listening, please take time to understand your patient's history and their primary cancer and what risk and what baggage they bring to you. And, and reach out to their original, to the patient's original oncologist that treated them for their first cancer. Amen. I think that's a really important message that you share with us today. Thank you for that. That's, I learned, woo, I learned a lot just now. <laughs> so how are you feeling now? Are we done? Are we done treatments? Are we, we dancing are, in the streets? What's going on? Well, some days I'm dancing in the streets. It depends on my emotions. As you know, yes, many I of do. us struggle with depression and the cancer-related PTSD and the anxiety. So there's a couple little things going on. I will be having surgery, just one more breast reconstructive surgery because I didn't heal well the first time. So they couldn't really complete the surgery that I needed. What is so stressful right now for me is the leukemia treatment, all the chemo, one year worth, the chemo, the radiation, the setup for the transplant, which involved more chemo radiation, that already caused bone pain and muscle pain and joint pain. Then they have the anestrozole, which causes can cause that too. But then they tell you, if you were to ever get breast cancer again, you're going to have probably bone pain. So at night, I lay awake and I think, is this cancer? Is this right. bone pain from the anestrozole? Or is this just the bone pain from all the chemo and radiation that is just continues to get worse because sometimes it's really bad. Yes. Sometimes it's manageable. Sometimes I take my son out and if we go to like an amusement park for a vacation, I have to get a little pass, a, a disability pass saying I can't stand in line. I need to sit and you can call me when my ride is ready. I walk That's my right. son to the ride. He gets on. I wait for him at the end, but I can't wait. That's right. So I, right now, um, from an emotional standpoint, I struggle with the anxiety of what if I get a third cancer? What if this spreads with leukemia? If you don't feel right, you can get a blood test and your doctor can say your counts look good. But how many times can I hop in a bo- in a machine for a bone scan? Right. Every time I get bone pain, that would be every day. Right. So- well, on, on the aromatase inhibitor, I was on it for seven years. And how many years out are you? Just six months. Yeah. It's, it's a really hard journey. I feel you. And it's a real mind game because first your hip hurts or then it's your bone, it's your leg or and it goes around your body and you think maybe it's in my head. So that's what I said to my oncologist. I said, well, how do I know? At what point do I sound an alarm and say, I need another bone scan? Mm-hmm. How do I know the difference between bone pain that's long-term side effects from chemo and radiation from leukemia, bone pain that's being magnified because of the anestrozole or bone pain that might mean that the breast cancer has spread to the bones. What did the doctor tell you about this? You, well, one oncologist, the breast cancer oncologist said, oh, it will, you'll know because it will be different or more, it will, you'll get more of it. 
I'm like, well, there's some days I get a lot of it. So how am I going to know? So once I get through this surgery that I'm having next week, probably in two months, I'm going to ask for a bone scan. But I also know that I can't live my life hopping in a machine every day just to someone to say, hey, you don't have cancer. But I think this is an important takeaway. Uh, again, there's so many messages that you're giving us today. I'm I'm just so appreciative. And I'm thinking about the fact that with secondary cancer, which I've only had cancer once, with secondary cancer, you have the side effects of the first cancer, and now you're being treated for the second cancer that has some similar side effects. And so you don't know, is it cancer two? Is it cancer coming back? And I think that's a big differentiator for secondary cancer is the concern and the worry about trying to note the difference. The reason I wrote my book, which is called Becoming the Story, The Power of Prehab, because I went from telling everybody's story to becoming the story, which as reporters, we try to never become the story, but I did. And the power of prehab, prehabilitation, which is preparing ourselves for illness, is because it's the only sense of control in the midst of all the unknowns and all the anxiety and all the depression and running out and making memories because what if I'm not here tomorrow kind of mode that I get in when the bone pain is bad. Yeah, It makes me puts me back in the driver's seat of, I am staying prepared. Like people say they need a buddy to get to the gym. I don't need a buddy. I will work out every day because I want to live. I want to watch my child grow up. I am motivated by breathing and walking and life and not hearing the words cancer. And if I did, I'm motivated by the fact that I am as prepared as I can be. That if they ever say again, you have 25% chance of survival, I want all 25. I don't want to say you have 25 But you know what? You're not fit. You're just going to get 10. I want to position myself the best way possible. So if I get, God forbid, hear that word again, I'm ready, as ready as I could be going into it. And that's how I positioned myself for the second cancer. And I did know, but that's how I was positioning myself for the first cancer as well, is preparing my body so I can get the biggest dose of chemo. Because As we know, and as we've learned with COVID comorbidities, you have to lessen the dose. They have to tiptoe around heart disease, hypertension, obesity. And I want to stay fit to get the full dose. So in my book, I try to educate everyone about those three Ps, prepare, present, prevail. Having to shift that mindset is the only way that I fight the demons of depression is when I find myself getting cranky and out of control and thinking, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. What if I have cancer? What if they're going to take my son away and the wheels start turning? I have to keep saying I'm prepared. And the first thing I do is go on a walk, lift some weights. I mean, they're not like 15, 20 pound barbells I used to do. They might be two pounds, but I do, I max out whatever I can physically do. And it kind of puts that sense of calm back to me and puts me in the driver's seat that I have control of the situation as much as possible. And that's an important message is having control because when you don't, then the PTSD and the anxiety and the depression just take over oneself. And that's why we're survivors. It's a bad group to be in, but it's also a special group because we understand one another. Yes, we do. It's a community I never thought I'd be part of, but But I'm I'm grateful. I've met so many angels and sometimes you might 
talk to other friends who don't feel that way yet because they haven't gone through something like this. And you kind of want to shake them and say, hey, be grateful because your world can turn upside down. You are not invincible. It's hard to understand. Until you get that cancer call, many do feel invincible. And it's a hard thing to explain to someone who hasn't gone through what we've gone through. I really am so grateful to have met you. This is, you're doing great things. And I hope everybody goes out and grabs your book because I can't wait to read it. I've been listening to some of your podcasting that you've been doing and hearing others, I find, talk about their stories really does help my PTSD. And I give back for the same reason. And I can't imagine going from interviewing people and having others be the story to having to be the story yourself. That must have been such a surreal experience for someone whose career is in journalism. It was humbling. And that's why I said I made the title of my book, Becoming the Story. I said, if I survive, I have a moral obligation to go and give back, use my platform. If people have followed my story and make an impact. And I started reporting from my bedside from day one, all through my journey. And when I got out and I still to this day, and it's not just speaking to cancer, those in the fight or caregivers, it's those long before they're ever diagnosed because they need to shift that mindset too and know that it can still happen, but you have the chance today to become your own hero and prepare your body for illness with what you eat, how much sleep you get, the stress and toxicity you allow in your life your spiritual and financial situations. It's a wheel of success and it all determines how well you prepare when your world flips upside down. So it's never too late to get started to prepare your body for illness. Prehab. If you try to type it into the into Google, it will autocorrect to rehab. But prehab is just as important. I think that's a great message because most people don't prepare themselves for the what ifs. They're yeah. busy just living their lives. I think that your messaging is going to impact so many. And I say you're never getting it again. Never, Uh, ever again. And I do want to mention the the work that Armor for Life is doing. We do more than prehab, but prehab is a key message. But it's it's also reaching out to the, the communities of color about risk reduction as well. So we help amplify the patient voice. We help get fitness gear to cancer patients so they can meet the medicine halfway. And there's a lot of great work we're doing. So if anyone wants to partner with us or on any kind of grant or sponsorship or partnership, we are eager to make a difference and make more patients possible. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I am so in awe of you and I'm proud of the attitude that you have having gone through cancer twice. I can't even imagine, but stay healthy, stay happy. Happy New Year. Enjoy. Happy New Year everything and all the blessings that you have. And thanks so much for giving us your time today. Thank you. Have a great day and what an honor and privilege to be on the show. Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Conquer Cancer, the ASCO Foundation. Conquer Cancer is creating a world where cancer is prevented or cured and every survivor is healthy. You can help by donating now at conquer.org forward slash podcast. The participants of this podcast report no conflicts of interest relevant to this podcast. Full disclosures can be found on the episode page on conquer.org. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and to inform. 
This is not a substitute for professional medical care and is not intended for use in the diagnosis or treatment of individual conditions. Guests on this podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. Guest statements on the podcast do not express the opinions of ASCO. The mention of any product, service, organization, activity, or therapy should not be construed as an ASCO endorsement.